Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. I don't know about you, but we love mystery stories. That's why the Upside Down Story is one of our favorite podcasts. It turns a tale flipsy-flopsy upside-downsy so that you need to listen to the clues to figure out who the mystery storyteller is. Search for the Upside Down Story on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your not-so-spooky host who's caretaker of the spooky secret tales hidden in the vault of famous scaremeister R.L. Stein. Today, I'm going to tell you about a haunted place. Is it actually haunted or merely misunderstood? Guess you can be the judge, my devoted listeners. So sit back, Story Club members, as we're about to venture into the Winchester Mystery House. I recently visited the famous sprawling Victorian mansion that's located in San Jose, California. And from the moment I walked through the door, something wasn't right. First off, there was a cold chill in the air in the middle of summer, and it wasn't the air conditioning. But I'm getting ahead of myself, listeners. Let me give you a little history of the place first, and why it will forever be celebrated in the annals of haunted house lore. It began with Sarah Lockwood Party, who was born in the summer of 1839 in New Haven, Connecticut. In 1862, she married William Wirt Winchester, who was the son of Oliver Winchester, the lucrative owner of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. In the span of a year, Sarah Winchester lost her mother, father-in-law, and finally her husband in 1881 to tuberculosis. Sarah had lost her young daughter, Annie Party Winchester, in 1866 to a terrible disease. Sarah inherited more than $2 million, which is over a half a billion in today's currency. A spiritual medium told Sarah that she should leave New Haven and go to California. The medium had told Sarah that she should build rooms in a house for those lost as a result of the Winchester repeating rifle. The depressed widow did just that. In 1886, construction began on what was a Queen Anne-style farmhouse into the sprawling mansion that it is today. Construction happened almost daily for 36 years. There wasn't much of a floor plan, and workers simply added on rooms and designs whenever they could. Staircases were built that led to nowhere, doors opened to nothing, and windows were built inside the house. These were only a few of the house's peculiarities. Sarah believed that as long as construction occurred, she and her fortune would be safe from those restless spirits that the medium had previously mentioned. After Sarah Winchester's death on September 5, 1922, construction immediately stopped on the maze-like mansion, and the tired workers went home. It's since been converted into a museum that thousands of tourists visit annually. Many books, articles, TV shows, and movies have been made about the bewildering house of mystery. So I wandered through the mansion, paying special attention to the unique architecture. And more than a few times, I saw out of the corner of my eye shadowy shapes zig and zag near me, 
only to turn and see nothing there. Was it my overactive imagination, or was it something more? One thing I noticed was the spiderweb designs in some stained glass windows and the number 13, considered unlucky, as a consistent and unsettling theme in the home's overall design. The entire design was maddening, and more than once I worried that I might be trapped inside like one of those wandering spirits that Sarah Winchester had tried to quell with the constant construction of this puzzling mansion. When I left the house, I felt dizzy and confused, like I had stepped inside another world. And who knows, maybe I did. I was happy that I had visited Sarah Winchester's famous house, but more happy to leave it behind in my rearview mirror. Once the palm tree-lined Victorian mansion vanished from view, I could breathe a sigh of relief. Fortunately, none of the spirits that allegedly reside in the many rooms of the Winchester Mystery House followed me home. If they did, well, I guess we would have some spirited conversations, and maybe I would have to build a room for them too. Unfortunately though, I'm not so handy with a hammer and saw, so that would be bad. But it looks like I'm safe. For now. Hello once more, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host and overseer of those creepy tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. We'll explore the weird, the scary, and everything in between. Today is another chilling tale. So get ready, Story Club members. This haunting tale will bind you tight in dread, and I call it The Bandage Man of Cannon Beach. Recently, I took a vacation to the Oregon coast, if you haven't been there, it's lovely this time of year. One of my favorite spots is Cannon Beach. It's miles and miles of golden sandy beaches and frothing surf, and its most distinguished feature, Haystack Rock. I love walking on the beach barefoot, kicking at the cool surf in the daytime, and sitting around a warm campfire on a brisk night with friends telling scary stories. One I heard was the story of Muriel, who haunts a Newport lighthouse. Well, my friends, I experienced a different ghost story that will have you running for the exits. The Bandage Man of Cannon Beach. And it's a local urban legend, but what I learned and experienced firsthand is that many legends are indeed based in fact. One warm night, I was driving my car on the Oregon Coast Highway, Route 101. I was with one of my best friends, Willow Yates. We decided to pull off the highway onto a lonely, quiet side road and check out the full moon, which was appearing through the gray night clouds. It was a strawberry supermoon, so it was big and fat and orange. Willow and I were trying to get the best shots of it we could with our phones. The way the moon lit up the tops of the tall forest trees, the empty beach below, and the rushing surge of water was magical and one of the most gorgeous sights we'd ever seen. Then, Willow and I heard a sound behind us on the dark, dusty road. The sound seemed to grow, like it was coming closer to us. In the rearview mirror, I saw something move behind us. Then, the car shuddered. Willow and I turned around. A man stood there. He was bandaged head to toe like a mummy. But the bandages, from what we could see in the moonlight, were dark and discolored, dirty from age. He stalked around the car toward me. That's when I started the car, hit reverse, and backed out of that spot on that lonely road so fast we nearly gave ourselves whiplash. 
I quickly drove back to our hotel, and Willow and I told the manager, out of breath, about what had happened. She only looked at me in horror. What you saw was the bandage man, she said, and you're lucky to be alive. We asked who he was. Apparently, sometime in the early 1950s, he was a logger who got into a horrible accident at a sawmill. An ambulance arrived. To stop the bleeding, medical technicians bandaged most of the logger's body up after the industrial mishap. He was whisked away in the ambulance, but unfortunately, a landslide occurred, trapping the ambulance under rocks and dirt, burying it in the road. When a rescue team came and rescued the unconscious crew from the ambulance, they discovered that Bandage Man was gone. He had since been seen wandering the forests and lonely roads, eating whatever live animals he can and haunting the locals. Apparently, it's his spirit that wanders, as the story is more than 70 years old. You must watch yourself when the night descends on our little town, the motel manager concluded. Stay safe. Bandage Man walks among us out there. Most people don't believe in him, and that's what makes him strong and endure. Unsettled, Willow and I went to our respective rooms to catch up on some much-needed sleep. But my experience in Cannon Beach, Oregon, will forever be tainted by the bandage man trying to get us in the car. I did some later research online about him, and found that there were many stories that were widely varied about bandage man's origins and historic appearances. You can look them up too. I'll tell my devoted listeners this though. The next time I leave on vacation, I'm going to pick another beach that isn't quite so haunted by the specter of a roaming spirit. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Do you like to laugh? Ah, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. 
These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host and keeper of those unusual tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. We'll explore the peculiar, the scary and strange, and even the scary. Today is another chilling tale. So get ready, Story Club members. This eerie account might make you rethink gold prospecting as a profession, at least in the area known as the Lost Dutchman Mine. So yeah, if you're looking for a haunted hotspot, and I don't recommend this one, search no further than a place outside of Phoenix, Arizona, as it has a doozy that I previously referenced as, yep, you guessed it, the Lost Dutchman Mine. Ready for a history lesson about this haunted place with a 150-year reputation of evil and double-dealing behavior? Get ready, Story Club members, cause here we go. The name of the infamous mine came from Jacob Walls, who was not a Dutchman at all, but German. He came to North America in 1845 and soon learned about the riches and adventure that were awaiting him in the undiscovered frontier land of the Southwest. Yep, Jacob Walls was like many locals and immigrants who wanted to discover gold during the gold rush of the 1840s. Not only did he discover his fortune, but his story became something of legend and folklore that's been shared for a century and a half. Right around 1870, Walls's treasure-seeking desire brought him to the Arizona Territory. He disappeared into the nearby Superstition Mountains to investigate local stories from Native Americans about gold. Not long after that, the Dutchman showed up in Phoenix, returning with pack animals wearing saddlebags full of raw gold he had dug out of the mine by himself. Whenever anyone tried to fish information out of him, the reluctant prospector would always give false directions to the mine's location. Walls had a good thing going, and he didn't want to share it with anyone. The fortune he planned to make was for him and him alone. Occasionally, eager men who also sought their fortunes attempted to trail Walls when he left town to his fabled mine. But the solo suspicious gold hunter, no doubt expecting to be followed, always disappeared in the labyrinth mountainscape without a trace, leaving his pursuers confused and disheartened. After almost two decades of obsessive prospecting, Jacob Walls, the Dutchman as he came to be known, died on October 25, 1891, with a sack of rich gold ore beneath his deathbed. Would-be prospectors immediately sought what they now called the Lost Dutchman Mine, but never found it. The endless search for the mythical place has caused more than a century and a half of speculation. Theories about the mine's location have filled dozens of history books and inspired storytellers for generations with articles, TV shows, and movies. Hundreds of hopeful prospectors have ventured to the region and searched the Superstition Mountains in vain. Some have returned empty-handed, and some never ever returned. There's no way to guess just how many people have died or went missing trying to find the lost Dutchman mine, but it's definitely in the hundreds. 
Even Jacob Wells himself is alleged to have ended a few of those lives who found his treasure trove or crossed him. There are also many people who were slain by locals after they were found searching the mountain for the mine. Still, other deaths are more mysterious. Many amateur and professional prospectors searching for the mine have disappeared. In some cases, skeletons of the missing have been dug up from shallow graves. From time to time, yet another person is reported missing in the Lost Dutchman mine area. What happens to them? It's a ghostly mystery shrouded in secrecy, like the missing Dutchman mine itself. So I would recommend staying out of that area, listeners. If you decide to stake your claim and go prospecting for gold, that is. There are much better veins of gold that are waiting to be plucked from the ground that are nowhere near the haunted place known as Lost Dutchman Mine. So stay gold, Story Club members, and I'll catch you on the flip side of the Golden Dublin. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and devoted keeper of those strange yarns and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This ghostly account Story Club members might have you wanting to play outside. It's one I call the Whaley House. Recently, I was visiting sunny San Diego and toured the famous Whaley House, which pops up all the time in books and websites as one of the most famous haunted houses. Here's a little history. In 1857, businessman Thomas Whaley built the two-story mansion for his family. Because the house was such an important fixture in its day, it was also used as a courthouse and official meeting place. Two presidents, Ulysses S. Grant and Benjamin Harrison, stayed with the Whaley's when they visited the city. For almost 100 years, several generations of Whaley's lived in the home. The oldest brick structure in Southern California, the Whaley House, is now a museum. But the Whaley residence has a spookier history. The ghosts most often encountered in the house are those of Thomas and Anna Whaley, Annabelle Washburn, a friend of the Whaley children who died after a tragic accident in the Whaley's backyard, and Yankee Jim, a drifter who died and was buried on the property before the home was built. June Reading, the director of the Whaley House Museum since the 1960s, saw the ghosts firsthand. She claimed that she once saw Thomas Whaley standing on the stair landing on a Sunday afternoon. He wore a black frock coat and a pair of pantaloons with a broad brim black felt hat. Reading knew it was Whaley because she had read documents that described him wearing similar clothing. Many other museum employees have also reported a man in a black frock coat staring at them while they worked. Another time, Mrs. Reading, along with other museum guides, heard a mysterious man's laugh. They figured the voice belonged to Thomas Whaley. Phantom cigar smells have been observed in various rooms that Mr. Whaley once occupied. Since no smoking is allowed in the museum, and Mrs. Reading and the other witnesses to the odor don't smoke, the odors were quite mysterious. Was it Mr. Whaley smoking a cigar in the afterlife? Not only have employees witnessed spirit shapes and phantom smells in the museum, many museum visitors also claim to have seen ghosts. One visitor described a person who was there, but then wasn't. Some visitors have taken photographs of the museum that feature images of strange blobs of lights hovering in the air. One August, Mrs. Reading said that there was a great deal of static electricity in the house. In the Whaley girls' room, a witness saw what looked like fireflies buzzing around. 
After calling a parapsychology expert to investigate the strange occurrence, Mrs. Reading learned that the fireflies the witnesses saw may have been portions of supernatural beings. Mrs. Reading watched the dancing lights, which eventually formed into a vague figure standing at the end of the bed, folding clothing. Was it the ghostly figure of Anna Whaley doing household chores? Oftentimes during the night, the burglar alarm at the Whaley house would go off without a cause. However, it has been difficult to convince police officers to check on the haunted house. One time, an officer showed up at the house after the alarm sounded, but was too afraid to get out of his squad car to investigate. Once accompanied by Mrs. Reading, however, the officer mustered up enough courage and entered the house. The officer would not go any farther than the entry hall, though. He insisted that Mrs. Reading check out all the rooms herself. Other ghosts have been observed as well. A museum guide who worked at the Whaley House for nine years sometimes heard heavy footsteps that supposedly belonged to Yankee Jim. During one of her tours, several visitors smiled at the guide. When she asked them what they were laughing at, they told her about the mysterious man standing next to her as she spoke. The visitors described the man as resembling Yankee Jim. In the kitchen of the house, accounts of utensils and rocking chairs moving on their own have been attributed to the ghost of Annabelle Washburn. After her accident, Mr. Whaley carried her into the kitchen, where she died. Could Annabelle be haunting the place of her untimely death? The strange occurrences and sightings at the Whaley house have led many people to believe that Thomas and Anna Whaley's ghosts remain in the house to this day, acting as protectors of the mansion. Perhaps Mr. and Mrs. Whaley see the museum's guides and visitors as house guests they need to greet and welcome. But who knows for sure? Perhaps the Whaleys have not yet realized they're dead. Perhaps they will wander the rooms of their old family home forever. I'll tell you what, devoted listeners. I couldn't wait to leave the Whaley house and hit the San Diego beach. Things are a lot less scary when you're sifting sand through your toes and letting the cool waves of the Pacific Ocean lap up onto your ankles. If I ever become a ghost, though, I want to haunt a sunny seashore. They say life is a beach, but what about the afterlife? Did you know there are a whole bunch of Go Kid Go shows? Of course, there's the R.L. Stein Story Club, and you're a member. There's also Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila. And Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Kapow. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find your way. Come back tomorrow for another episode, because every R.L. Stein Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out! Good news alert! We've sniffed out a winner from the Go Kid Go team, Snoop and Sniffy. What happens when Snoop, an experienced dog detective from London, gets sent to small-town Pflugerville to train clueless puppy Sniffy as an undercover agent? Mystery, adventure, and chaos! Seriously, the town of Pflugerville isn't Dullsville like Snoop expected, and he quickly realizes that he can't handle all the action without Sniffy by his side. Even when they're able to turn a blind eye to the alien superheroes and villains battling it out for control of Pflugerville, Snoop and Sniffy have their paws full on Bark Street, with hilarious busybodies like Lorraine the Neighborhood Watch Duck, Poot the Groundhog, and Fred the Squirrel popping around. Do you love to laugh? Do you love animals? Do you have the brightest mind since Sherlock Holmes? 
yes? Then tag along with us for the fun and see if you can help solve the mysteries by listening to Snoop and Sniffy on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.